0: Welcome and thank you to everyone joining online and here at Mercado La Paloma. I'm Ariana Rivera Lee, programming coordinator at Zocalo Public Square, a uni- in Arizona State University Media Enterprise. At Zocalo, our mission is to connect people to ideas and to each other. Everything we do is free, and everyone is welcome. We present, publish, we publish original writing and present conversations like this one. You can find us at zocoapublicsquare.org, on podcast platforms, and YouTube. So please subscribe for our latest programs. We are proud to feature the artwork of Dominic Moody as the backdrop for tonight's program. Tonight, we are honored to partner with California Wellness Foundation and Esperanza Community Housing to ask, can California lead a new reproductive rights movement? I'm pleased to introduce our moderator for the evening, Sandy Bates, a columnist at the Los Angeles Times. Yes, can. Over to you, Sandy, thank you, thank you. Um,
1: We're really lucky tonight to have uh, such a, a variety of people here. These are people with various levels of expertise and lived experience. Um, the first we have, someone that we probably all know. And that's Dr. Barbara Farrar, who is the director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health, which promotes and protects the health of people in Los Angeles County and helps to to prevent disease. We know her primarily, I think, now through the last few years of COVID preparations and COVID um, processes and vaccinations and rules. And I think we all... Did you give give her some applause first right now because it's been difficult. <laughs> and she's done a great job. <laughs> Next we have Janet Robinson Flint. She's the founder and executive director of Black Women for Wellness. And that's a South LA-based organization that works on reproductive health issues affecting black women and girls. She's part of the Reproductive Justice Coalition of Los Angeles the California Coalition for Reproductive Freedom, and the National Black Women's Reproductive Justice Agenda. And I'm very pleased that there are so many people working on behalf of this, you, thank you. And we have Dr. John McHugh. He's the Vice Chair-Elect of California's District of the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists which represents more than 4,000 physicians who are dealing with women's health. He received his BA at Columbia University, his MD at the Harvard-MIT Joint Program in Health Sciences and Technology, and he completed his OBGYN residency right here in California at UCSF. Thank you. And we have Allegra Hill, Who's a licensed midwife, a certified professional midwife, and a lactation consultant, and also a doula, right to yeah. yeah. my um, with Kimberly Durden. She is the co-founder and co-owner of Kindred Space, which is a South LA-based birthing center that is trying to offer holistic care to women in South Los Angeles, and and she's also a part of the Birthing Place Foundation. Thank you, Allegra. All right, and I ask our panelists to, to submit some ideas of what they think we ought to be talking about tonight. And I'm gonna start with, with something that Janet uh, Robinson Flint offered up because we're talking about a reproductive rights movement. And I guess we first have to kind of define what that is. And so I'm gonna ask the question that you ask and I'm gonna ask you to answer it. And that is, you said there's a, a difference between reproductive rights, health, and justice. What is the difference and how important is that that we examine that as we try to move forward now to be
2: a leader? Um, thank you for having me and for asking a question that I will put forth, right? The... The the thing that I want to talk about is this concept of justice, both racial and social justice when it comes to your reproductive health and rights. So the shortcut for reproductive justice is the right to have a child and to raise a child or to not have children, right? And what we look at when we look at a reproductive justice movement, we look at the intersecting issues that influence and direct your decision-making around childbearing do you are you in a place where you want to be in your life do you have housing do you have job do you have education what's the environment like are you exposed to toxic chemicals because you live on top of an oil drilling it's like all of those things and more influence your decision around having a child or not having a child Even looking at the police violence that we look at in Los Angeles on a regular basis influences the stress level and whether or not we wanna have children or what happens to our children once we have them. So what we need at this point in time is a reproductive justice movement because there are people who have rights but are not able to exercise those rights. There are people who want to to access reproductive health care services but don't have access to those health care services because the justice system prohibits them from being there.
1: So we, this is not just about access to abortion. This is about a healthy environment that allows you to make choices about your life that you can carry out and that are healthy for everyone.
2: One of the things that that I can say is that we met Dr. Ferrer before this issue came, right, and we met her because we were talking about black maternal and infant mortality right. She has made that a priority. I remember going back for years,
1: that has been a priority, for so, her. yes
2: and so you that's still a problem, that's still an issue, it didn't go away yeah. right so and then the other person I met was Allegra, right because um. She has uh, a place called Kindred Kindred Spaces where my daughter went for prenatal care. So while my daughter was getting prenatal care, they answered every question and addressed every fear she had with being a black woman pregnant, right? Because she's a black woman pregnant in, in Los Angeles. She hears the data. She hears about maternal mortality. She hears about infant mortality. So all those thoughts flag through her head, right? She hears about obesity and high blood pressure and diabetes and how they influence a pregnancy. All those things go through her head. So that she had access to kindred spaces and midwives, that we have a public health system that said, we're making this a priority was a good thing. So we were prepared and able to talk to each other when this issue of banning abortion, banning the ability to control your own body, to have self-determination and autonomy came up. We could have a working relationship when our board of supervisors said, we're gonna make Los Angeles a safe haven. How do you all make that happen? Because not one of us could have done it by ourselves. We needed each other to make this happen.
1: So this movement has been
2: going on and building grassroots level
1: support for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are very fortunate in California. And and when we talk about whether we can lead a new reproductive rights movement, we have to understand that there is a lot that has been going on already. Um, California, you know, anticipated what was going to happen. And on the very day the Supreme Court decision came down, Governor Newsom signed a law that, that prevents anyone from punishing abortion, either providers, patients, um, helpers in this state. So if people are able to get here, they will be protected in their, in their secrecy if, they, if that's what they need and their care will be provided. Um, So, we are already kind of ahead of the game, but there's a lot that has to be done to get the word out and to build the capacity for for what is going to happen. Um, And I want to ask you, Dr. what what do you think, I mean, is this, how is this a public health issue and what do we do to... First of all, make our, um, the things that we have for people available and, and steer them to us and keep them safe.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, Sandy. I, I also wanna, wanna thank everybody who's here. I wanna thank our sponsors. Um, most impressively, I'm, I'm honored to be here with Jeanette and Allegra and John. And I think, um, I'd like to just, uh, really offer some additional thoughts to, to where I think Jeanette appropriately is sending us, which is that from a public health perspective, uh, the issue at hand cannot be just about choice. I mean, choice is super important, Um, but we have a long history of some people having more opportunities to make choices and decisions than others, and it would be really um, detrimental so I think the work we need to do together if we don't embrace this notion of justice. Um, we know each other because the issue around some people in our communities, primarily black and brown people, indigenous peoples, uh, people uh, who have less resources than others, um, really affects overall health and well-being And our job as a public health department is to make sure that there's equitable resources distributed that promote optimal health and well-being. And you can't do that uh, anywhere in the United States if you're not willing to tackle uh, issues around uh, racism, discrimination, and oppression. It is impossible. Uh, And that's the justice framework. Um, Because if we don't really pay a lot of attention to the root causes for the inequities that are perpetuated over and over and over again. The fact that here in LA County, we're in like 2022, and black women have almost five times a higher a rate of maternal mortality than white women. And black babies in 2022 are dying at a rate that's almost four times as high as the rate for white babies that should be intolerable uh, to all of us to all of us and it should be the primary focus of how we organize uh, around ensuring that the reproductive rights movement is a reproductive justice movement which is linked to the fight to dismantle racism uh, and oppression because you can't i don't think you can separate the issues anymore we've been doing this work for a long long time uh, on trying to address health inequities. And I think, uh, the collective power we have is to actually, uh, do, um, the work, uh, of a justice, uh, agenda. Uh, and really talk about those root causes that I think, uh, Jeanette laid out for us. You know, people cannot have healthy choices around their reproductive well-being if they live in unsafe neighborhoods, if they live on contaminated land, if they're treated as less than every single day uh, that they uh, exist within our communities, uh, if they face discrimination at work, at school, um, and uh, in their interactions with government, um, if the healthcare system isn't able to acknowledge sort of a history of white privilege and think about how to embrace and and I know I was talking with Allegra earlier, but we need to embrace the options that are real for people uh, who need good access. We need to embrace doulas and muchas gracias a todas las promotoras. Like these are, the, this is where the change is going to happen um, when we have midwives and doulas and promotoras and health educators that are able to come together and really respond to the services uh, that people need in our community because they are operating from a place of strength and cultural integrity. Without that, um, we're gonna be lost. So I know you don't want me to talk no, so no, myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I
1: want to follow up and I want to say too, we will be taking questions at the end. So if you are having questions as we talk, write them down and you'll have a chance. Um, that's, that's kind of how we feel in Los Angeles. Do you see yet that being part of the California movement? So far, they've been talking a lot about practical things like putting money aside to, you know, to have more, um, to provide more services and not letting people be, you know, turned in for doing these things. But is, does that justice lens um, inform the state right now, do you think?
3: And I what think, can okay, we do if that's it doesn't? Uh, okay, that's, that's, okay. <laughs> I think that's up to us. Yes. Um, it, it's really hard um, because we need both. We need some short-term actions and we need a, a long-term agenda that addresses the sort of overwhelming uh, inequity in how we're using our resources, distributing them. Uh, but I do want to sort of note some caution is you need to be careful that your short-term agenda doesn't wreck the real work that needs to get done. So I do think that that's our role together, is to be very mindful of where we need to be and to make sure that all the steps we take um, are gonna get us there and not make it harder for us to come together to do the very difficult work of addressing uh, the impact of racism on uh, on the people who are most going to be in need uh in the years to come for short-term support and to really rectify a long history of wrongs
2: and by
1: it's up to us we need to get more involved we need to make sure the state officials know how we feel and is that what we need to be doing more
3: um i'm going to turn to other folks I mean- <laughs> But just because, you know, I'm an organizer by yeah. training. And people, people, you know, sometimes don't know that. But, you know, I started as a community organizer and, and I believe in organizing. Um, and and I believe in, in the power of people working together and I've seen it work. And that's about the only thing I've seen work. Um, but I, I'd love, we have like so much brilliance oh, up yes here. So I'm going to turn it to other folks to well,
1: to sort I, of comment. I want to as ask well. John, because the, this, as we talk about, this is not just about Choice, um, you're familiar with all the kind of ancillary issues that this it, it has to deal with, with uh, conception and pregnancy and transgender issues. And tell us about what are the things that we're not focusing on that we should be as we build this movement.
4: You know, thanks so much for uh, that question. And I, I think it's really, really important to think about this. I think that when we Look at how many people look at the issue specifically of abortion. A lot of people have mixed feelings. A lot of people have ambiguous feelings and that's okay to have those feelings. There's an old saying about what happened in Germany many years ago was, we thought they were just coming for one group and I ignored it. And they thought it was the other group and I ignored it. This affects all of us. This really affects all of us. Um, the politicians who want to tell you what you can do with your health care provider aren't just going to stop at this. They want more than that. They want more control. And it's about issues that many of us uh, may face, even, you know, of different genders, people at different points in their life. Your care is going to be affected as well. And probably the first one, and unfortunately, one of our Supreme Court justices has already kind of leaked his feelings about this and said We're gonna go after uh, contraception next. And we're gonna go after transgender care next. So one thing I would really say to you too is don't just wait for the laws to change. I was talking earlier about setting up the Mercado here. How many years and how much investment had to go into that? That uncertainty is affecting big healthcare organizations right now because they're saying maybe we shouldn't open that clinic. Maybe we shouldn't uh, ask this doctor to come to our state after years of training. Maybe that doctor's gonna just turn their back on this because there's so much uncertainty. So two forms of contraception that many of you may have family members who have used, one is called Plan B, and the other is IUDs. There are questions about those being legal in some of these states right now, and I think we should all be aware of that. Many of us, uh, I, I have family members who've had infertility care. There are real questions about infertility care. We already have huge areas of not just the middle of America, but also California, where they are healthcare deserts. There are not providers able or willing to provide that kind of care, and it's going to get worse. And the last thing I would add to that is transgender care. You know, this is a really important service for the people that need it. It's science-based, it's effective, and this care is, is already, there are already bills in state legislatures that are going after it. So this issue is not just about abortion. It's really about controlling people. It's really about controlling a lot of aspects of people's lives. Thank you.
1: I feel really lucky to be in California right now, and I, I have three daughters, um, and, and I feel really lucky. But I, and I also feel proud that we are setting up ways to provide access to people who are not in California. Um, I read that they are expecting already at least 16,000 people a year to come here from other states where they don't have access to abortion and that we are the nearest the nearest abortion center um, is in California for 36 million people who are outside of California and in states near us, if you are in Texas or you are in Oklahoma we might be the closest place that you can come um, and that's going to have its own set of issues and, and and I could put this to any of you maybe you, especially since you're You know, working with doctors and are a doctor, but that doctors in those states will not be trained on how to perform abortions. They will not even be trained on how to attend to women who are having miscarriages because a lot of those procedures can be used, you know, for abortion or likened to abortion. So there will be students probably flocking here to schools to try to get in. So we're going to have to make room for them and find ways to pay for that and to make sure that there is a supply of physicians who can perform these services. And we're going to have, I mean, the thought of, I'm sure you probably have all heard about the 10-year-old girl who had to go from Ohio to Indiana. She'd been raped and she was only able to get an abortion by traveling. And that's going to be happening on a major scale. And the question, and this for you, Allegra, because I know a, a big part of Allegra's process is being emotionally supportive and physically supportive to women who are pregnant, who women who are giving birth, many women who have difficult pregnancies. How do you, what do we do about young women, for example, or any woman, you know, who is coming here from another state to get an abortion and then have to hustle back home, how do we meet emotional and physical and aftercare needs for those women? Um, how, and because that's part of reproductive justice too. Um, Absolutely. And I think
5: that you know, one of the things I love so much about midwifery care is having the ability to really connect with people and really ask them, what do you need? How can we support you? These are some things that can help. But of course, that takes time. And I wouldn't even call that, you know, medicine or medical. It's more counseling. And so I feel like we do here in California have um, really wonderful providers, really wonderful doulas. We call them full spectrum doulas. And we have always, you know, if if a person is a full spectrum doula, they are trained to support people through loss and miscarriage and birth and postpartum. So I feel like as this wave of people from out of state will be coming here, we will have to adapt and pivot and make sure that our full-spectrum doulas are prepared to support people through um, traveling for a medical procedure, um, being separated from their own community, really meeting people here when they need the support, because I, I couldn't imagine needing to travel for a medical procedure like that. And as you said, I'm very fortunate to be here and have access, and even in the city. Um, you know, I feel like midwifery care, where you know, we're licensed by the medical board, but a lot of us don't really feel medical. It's like there's certain things that we, you know, there's skills that we have, but we don't necessarily need to use them all the time. Um, the interesting thing with you know, reviewing charts clients come in, we have a medical record for them, we review their history. And looking at somebody's gravida and para, which is the number of times they've been pregnant and the number of times that they have um, had childbirth, depending on you know after how many weeks gestation, that's essentially what a lot of medical institutions treat as a person's name. They're not interested in the client's name. They're interested in their gravida and para. And abortion is healthcare. It is a normal thing that people have access, if they have access to it, they have a choice in whether or not they're going to use it. So I really think that, you know, I'm very fortunate to get to look at the data of people who are coming in our care and seeing that people have, if they have a choice, they can access this healthcare. And so I think that there's this big idea of like what abortion is, and especially people, you know, like I said, people have different ideas about it. They have like a certain idea in their head but I think if we can really remember that, it's just it's, it's healthcare that people should
1: have access to. People should be able to decide for themselves, yeah, based on their own situations. Um, have you found, uh, Allegra, the emotional component? I mean, I know a lot of women are scared in pregnancy. There's so much, it's particularly black women, there's so much that can go wrong have you found that being able to talk them through that actually eases the birth process or the absolutely
5: in a lot of um you know a lot of the counseling that we provide is really um addressing and healing past trauma and sometimes it's emotional trauma sometimes it's physical trauma sometimes it's um just the way a person felt about the procedure. There can be some shame associated with it. Sometimes clients don't want to disclose it. So it's really, and again, like I'm very fortunate to have the time to sit and kind of peel back the layers of the onion with the client and offer resources if they need more support around that.
1: Let me ask you from the doctor's perspective. I know many of these states are having laws that talk about um, you know, the doctor can be basically there's a bounty on them and someone can turn them in if they're doing that. Um, is there a sense among obstetricians and gynecologists that this is a, a scary time or is there a, a militant sense or what would you say that the practitioners are feeling right now?
4: The first thing I would say is yes. There's both of those responses, right? All of us are individuals, all of us have different responses in these situations. I do wanna add one other condition that is very common that's been a big issue in uh, other countries around the world, miscarriage management. Some doctors are afraid to provide care for patients having miscarriages or even ectopic pregnancies because of the uncertainty around this. Um, Some doctors are becoming very, very militant. I think there was a proposal, I know the LA Times covered this, uh, about putting a floating hospital in the Gulf of Mexico to provide care. It's an interesting idea, I don't know the details of it. Um, So some physicians are really getting, moving forward, but I would say that uh, physicians, and not just physicians, often nurses and healthcare organizations, some of them are afraid and cowering and pulling back. All of those answers are true. I mean,
1: it's, it's stunning to be here at this point, I think, as someone who remembers when abortion was not legal and high school classmates of mine had to be, you know, hurried to New York and come back the same day and pretend nothing happened. Um, And it's scary to be here. And I I am hearing stories now about women who have to almost die from an ectopic pregnancy before it gets to the time that now you can intervene because it has to do with saving the life of the mother. But, you know, if there are women that are almost dying, there are gonna be women that are dying. Um, and uh, I, I, it's hard to, to fathom all of this. Um, Can I jump in? Sure, please do, please do. it. please, any of you, jump in. Okay.
2: So I, I just wanna say, I've never thought that medical professionals would have to be frontline revolutionaries, right? Yes. So medical professionals now has some decisions to make. They have some decisions to make about will they cooperate with this regime of terror that's going on right now? Will they report their clients? Will they perform services? You know, will they report data, right? And so I think one of the things that we can do, right, is to make sure that we let our providers know you do not have a legal obligation to report data right and that part of the the oath you take is to provide services life-saving services for your clients right and to remember that as as this reign of terror continues until we can do something about it that what you don't have to cooperate with it you do not have to be responsive to vigilantes who want people's data. And you do not have to turn people away from care that you can give. So that's not only the healthcare providers, but it's the pharmacists also, right? It is the the social workers and nurses as nurse practitioners, etc. Because we have to look at this from the legal perspective as well as the physical perspective in terms of healing and health, right? So one of the, the numbers that flows through my head with this new law, right? We already talked about black women dying from childbirth. They expect that number to go up by 33%, right? So if you have a person who can provide a healthcare service who does not because they're afraid, that could be a death sentence for someone. Right?
1: There, I mean, we do have legislation already that you cannot uh, be reported, that, that doctors cannot be punished, that there can be no barriers to access when it comes to, um, you know, or legal. Reasons. Yeah, there are, there are, there are. But that's what I was going to say. Then, how do we make that law effective? You know, is it just a question of getting the news out? It, because in order to lead a reproductive justice movement or reproductive rights movement, we're gonna to have to make sure everybody knows what the rules are and what the freedoms are. Um, so uh, I don't know, as you're, I'll ask you that again, how do we get that word out and how
2: do we make sure that that law is being followed? We actually have a proposition um, that we're putting on the ballot, Prop 1, yeah, for the November, which um, seeks to make a right to abortion a constitutional right in California. So, and you're absolutely correct. What good is a policy or a law if nobody knows it, right? So then that is coming upon us as community-based organizations, as activists, as advocates, to make sure our community is educated and informed, right? When we talk about California being a leader, California is not a monolithic state, okay? And we have some parts of California that are very conservative. I'm just gonna put it like that. Some parts of Central Valley, some parts around San Diego, where people will need to be informed, where providers will need to be moistered, and where there are those those deserts of, of care also. So let's let's remember that California has work to do. And California has work to do around the, the racism that happens here because we can't pretend like racism doesn't happen in California. We can't pretend like everyone who has rights in California is able to exercise those rights because it's not true.
1: And you made a really good point. I mean, in, in those parts
2: of California that
1: are not so liberal and, and often rural, it is very, it's going to be very hard for them to have access or to know they have access or to exercise that. Um, and and John, are, let me ask you: Are there practical ways that we can ensure that equity reaches those those deserts, those parts of California that are rural or isolated? You
2: know, it's it's really nice being
4: here and hearing about the education program and the promotoras that you have here. I've done some work in different parts of the state in the Inland Empire and far, mm-hmm. but then add. Profound isolation, right? Where you've maybe got hundreds of miles uh, for patients. I one time had to call in an airplane to medevac a patient to Davis, California, because it was the only the closest place she could receive the care. That was about 400 miles away from where the care that patient was getting. It's really, really a challenge for those communities. And often there is a political culture as well that you alluded to that's standing in the way uh, for those patients as well. What can we do? First of all, I just want to thank all of you. Just by being here, you're an activist. The fact that you vote, the fact that you um, pay taxes and support economically the state of California, these are things that we need to do. I think uh, the governor and the legislature are looking at ways to make it that it's cost-effective to provide that care if we can get providers into those communities. There was a wonderful article today in the LA Times about a clinic in El Centro, California. That is really a clinic that's absorbing a lot of the patients from Arizona. We have to make sure clinics like that stay alive and thrive all across California.
3: I think, you know, where the investments are made is gonna help both make sure people have good information but also access to the kinds of services they need. So, I mean, You know, I mentioned this before. I I think it's a huge issue. Uh, we don't have reimbursement for promotoras. It's super hard to get reimbursement for doulas. Super hard to pay midwives. Um, in, in communities where, where access is an issue, either because the people providing care aren't providing, um, culturally relevant care or they're not, uh, they're in locations where people are far away from some of the more traditional services. If we don't build out the workforce uh, and start paying uh, people who are already doing sort of life-saving work around our health and well-being, uh, again, we're going to miss this opportunity. And even here in California, there will be people who need to access a full continuum of reproductive health who will not have that access. So. We, 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 as we focus on sort of the emergency issues around access to abortions, I want to note that, that people need access to the full continuum of reproductive health services. Uh, that is part of the problem that we don't actually have that access now for so many people. So we, we, you know, let's not try to solve one problem without recognizing that it sits in a system of care that, for so many, doesn't work, because we have this opportunity to do both. It's not a like do one or you have to do the other. It is do both. What do people call that? Like an and? It's not a. Yeah, I don't know. What and. both and? <laughs> Thank you. Either, You're always yeah. smarter. Yes, exactly. It is, and and uh, and I think we can do that. And I think we should seize these opportunities where people are addressing important and challenging issues to shed light on the broader needs that many of our communities are struggling with and have been struggling with and result in very poor outcomes.
1: And and we have to remember, this
3: is a generational investment because this is not
1: just about women or, you know, it is about the next generation that will come, it is about families and the health of families. It is about children and what kind of opportunities they have as they grow up. So this is not just, you know, a, a woman's right. It, it is something that is a community issue and, and it will dictate where we are 20 years from now and 40 years from now, what we do right now. Um, I'm going to open it up if there are people. With questions, you can ask them, and if we have any online questions, then we can have those too. Yes, but you—you you want to come up to the mic, or do you want to just yell? <laughs> uh, my question is:
2: Jeanette
5: mentioned the idea of healthcare revolutionaries, which I thought was really great. And I was wondering if anyone has an example or a story of a revolutionary in the healthcare field right now that they know personally or someone whose story we could look back on
1: for some inspiration. Thanks. Well, I can just say, I can look back on Planned Parenthood for all the developing works of people, ordinary people, who would help take young women to places where they could get their needs met, um, provide them with aftercare, um, provide them with contraception. Um, and these were you know, just regular people who were volunteering and helping. So there, I know there, it, it, there is much more hostility now, and so it is difficult to, to mount that kind of revolutionary action with regular people. But I think you're right, it's gonna take
2: revolutionaries. I think ordinary people can be revolutionaries. Yes. Right. I, I yeah. think you have to look to to the media Hollywood image of what a revolutionary is to be a revolutionary, right? It could be simply you exercising autonomy or you allowing people their power. Yeah. Right? So that's one thing. I think there is a movie out called Jane Doe, which was about women Uh, who ran an underground um, abortion railroad in Illinois out of Chicago. So I know they're filming that. But also when I think about revolutionaries in terms of doctors, I think about Cuba, right? And the, the docs that they send around the world to work in all types of conditions, right? To provide healthcare when uh, Katrina blew through New Orleans. Uh, the Cuban government sent 1,200 doctors to, to the United States, right? So don't think of a healthcare revolutionary as someone who you know, has to put their gun on and go to a front line. Think about it as supporting women exercise their right to self-determination as exercising their right to own their own body and make decisions about it, and how you can be helpful in that regard, or how a provider can be helpful in that regard.
5: Yeah, I just wanna share a care revolutionary that I know and love, Ms. Cat, also known as Catherine Hall Trujillo. She started out as a um, probably an organizer, but I know her as a nurse midwife. She's no longer in practice but she actually works a lot with the doctors being trained in Cuba. Lots of young black Americans going to Cuba to learn how to be doctors, to come here. And then the way I originally met her is when my sister got pregnant, I guess my niece is 17, so 18 years ago. And she told me about an organization out of uh, Sacramento that partners pregnant people with what they call a sister friend. And it's somebody that would help you get to your appointments, to check in on you. So many people, who are pregnant don't have anyone in their family who's able to support them. So Mama Cat, as we as we know and love her, she she is a revolutionary to me on on all of the scales, with the healthcare providers and just like the person who's gonna call and be like, Hey, do you have a ride to your doctor's appointment? Can I come? Can I take you somewhere after? And that, and she's just the most phenomenal person. her
2: website is a
5: yeah. And, she, and she's helped to make all these safe birth kits to send yep. to Africa when women um, are giving birth with no care providers. It's something as simple as something to safely cut the umbilical cord, some soap and some gloves, and a bag to carry things for the baby. And that is revolutionary. Well, I
4: wanted to follow up on one thing that you said earlier about all of you can be revolutionaries. I did a talk a few years ago on miscarriage and I tried to come up with a celebrity that had been public about their miscarriage. At that time, this was a few years ago, the only person I could come up with, Beyoncé, did a song about a miscarriage that she would had maybe. we knew, But I thought, why is no one talking about this? Because I can guarantee you having taken care of many patients, they feel so alone and they feel like something's wrong with them. Uh, we need to talk more. There's so much shame and stigma about reproductive health issues. And if all of you just testify to the people you know and come out about that, we can hopefully help someone else get the care they need as well. So I'd encourage all of you to be revolutionary uh, and do that when you feel safe and comfortable.
1: We're almost out of time, but we have one online question and that is um, someone wants us to talk more about Proposition 1 and what it will do. That's what's on the ballot in November. And I
2: know, Jeanette, you're very familiar, if you want to. I'm very familiar. That is a policy person who's very familiar with it. I do know uh, that it is on the ballot. I do know that it is to make abortion a constitutional right in California. So that is a state right as opposed to the federal right that we're looking at. Um, there is a Fab Council, the Future of Abortion Council that put together 45 recommendations for California about really being a state that honors and supports women and decisions that we make. And that's who is holding the knowledge of that right now. I'll get more when, I, when they feel like I need to know, I
1: and guess. And
2: available online. As I was researching
1: this, I found that council, and they do have um, very specific recommendations that um, could be you know, very profound if they're all taken seriously and enacted. Um, so, so I want to encourage everybody to study Proposition 1. That is a place where we can make our voices heard at the ballot box, and that's what, I mean, we need to be doing that going forward in every election, every one of us. Um, let's see, we had one, I said that was a question, but um, uh, yes, this is, will California accept women under 18 to have an abortion without parental consent? And my understanding from what I read is they are not asking for identification and they are not asking your age. And so the answer is yes. Is that right? Okay. So yes. And there is no, they also, there is no, um, if you are on Medi-Cal, there is no payment. Uh, Private insurers cannot put conditions, they cannot demand payment there. Um, there's no copay, mm-hmm. so you know we are making it as um, you know financially and practically available as as it can be.
2: All right, if there isn't, I was gonna say one of the, the challenges that California has also is we have this thing called crisis pregnancy centers. Oh so, yeah, every read are all in the- Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things we have to be cognizant of that there are many sadly, fake clinics that, that will be popping up and that are in California, which will waste your time and your money, your resources, um, and do not provide you the health care services that you need. So that is one of the things that we need to be aware of in, in California is the Quote, crisis pregnancy centers that are not about providing any type of health care services at
1: all. And that has to be part of our state's um, information campaign and messaging and disinformation campaign so that people can know the difference. And I think that's one of the recommendations that the council has, too.
4: Yes? A few of us talked about maternal mortality, which is a tragedy in America, in a nation with so much resources that this is happening and the disparity. But all the evidence shows that a third of maternal mortality could be prevented with access to abortion. It's very difficult to cure hypertension. It's very difficult to cure some of the other conditions. And it's very difficult to cure the systemic racism that is behind some of this. But abortion access could save a third of those lives. And we have the chance to do that when we vote this fall.
1: I think that's it. I think that is all of the questions that we have. And we are. Oh, I do. Oh, I'm sorry. Wonderful. My back was to you. Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. Hi. Um, so I got here a little late, um, but I did hear the woman in the light blue blazer talking about
6: funding for promotor, promotoras de salud and funding for a continuum of reproductive care. Uh, I'm a holistic reproductive care provider here in LA. I was born and raised, I'm familiar with Allegra, I'm familiar with the kindred space. Um, And we need to establish abortion as a healthcare right, a human right access. And that is one of the most powerful things that's happening right now in California. We're all privileged to be in a state that is ensuring that we will make this a constitutional law. But, I do feel that in order for us to present ourselves as a state that is leading in Reproductive justice, we need to make ourselves a family-oriented state and we do not have access to affordable housing We don't have access to parental leave. Uh, we don't have adequate child care um, And we're not paying teachers enough. There's a lot of things that are included in the reproductive justice movement including supporting adjunct health care to medical care providers from the postpartum period a six-week leave of caring for people who have given birth who have had c-sections they're expected to go back to work in less than six weeks Uh, this is not just a state issue but it's a national issue of how we're addressing parental leave and so when we're talking about paying them how are we going to get the funding how do we become a state that is family oriented that is providing parental leave that is providing adequate care for families. That period of time when women, when people, women, anyone who gives birth, all of us here come from the act of birth. That period of time is so necessary for psychological development, for bonding, for a child to grow up as a beautiful person. So we need to ensure this right. And so there's so much money in California. So where and how do we find this funding to pay for people that are doing this work and also one more thing if we want to be revolutionaries find the families who have babies who have children and ask how you can help them show up for them I know we all have things to do on the weekends and we want to go out and we want to you know promote our vacations but take care of the families right now in your neighborhoods and in your own families so money and funding
1: it's wonderful that we started out we we started out with that issue when i was asking about abortion everyone was talking about justice and justice for families for communities racial justice and so to begin at that and to end on that i think is a wonderful thing and now if anybody wants to take that question about where do we get the money and, and how do we promote funding that is adequate to meet the needs of families, which we do a terrible job at now, particularly in one of the most expensive, you know, regions in the country.
2: Very expensive. No doubt about it. It is really expensive. But I think um, one of the things that we do have to realize when it comes to money, that where you spend your money is a reflection of your values, right? So if I spend my money with family, with you know, providing adequate housing with food because a lot of us live in food deserts, right? That type of thing, then that's my value. So this is a good year to uh, press California legislators about spending money where we want it, where it's valued, right? This is a great year to do it because California has budget to make that happen. What that means, You got to vote in November like your life depends on it, right? But in addition to voting, right, go visit the people that you voted for. Hold them accountable, right? If you voted for Newsom or if you voted for, you know, whoever your assembly representative or your state senator or your senator, hold them accountable because one of the things we don't do enough is call up the folks that we have elected to say these are our values how are you voting our values and holding them accountable so don't vote for people and then disappear vote for people and then call them up and then get your family together your colleagues and go see them Right. Let them know, I live in this community, these are the issues and challenges I see in the community. Let's look at this state budget that you you voted on and see if it's a reflection of the values that I hold and that I voted for you to hold for me. I
3: think
2: think there's also opportunity
3: locally. Um, Like we need people on our boards, on our commissions. Um, like A lot of decisions get made uh, many more decisions, I think, than we know of are getting made locally. Um, and we need people like you, like, to, to feel confident, um, that that's your place. Um, because zoning boards, um, commissions, school boards, they make a lot of decisions about how, how money's getting spent locally. So money will come into the county and then it will go to some additional body. Um, to get, um, you know, determined how we're gonna use it. So I would just urge people um, to see themselves as leaders. Some, it's pretty hard to like see you're gonna run for a big office, but I think uh, we need more parents on our school boards. Uh, we need more uh, residents uh, who are living in resource poor areas to get on the commissions that control the land decisions, land use decisions. Zoning decisions, I mean, these are places where we're in desperate need of um, voices to be elevated so that the decisions and the money are going to follow what people in the community are going to ask for. Uh, we have some more
1: to go. we're gonna have We're going to take these questions and we're going to keep our answers short. And then we're going to have a reception where we can talk to each other and ask more questions. Um, so we'll take these last two.
0: Right. Hi, I'm a high school student, and I'm, my question um, is, how can we as the youth be involved in the change-making process for reproductive health rights, other than just educating ourselves?
2: I, I, I'm going to think that you asked that question because you have to be 18 to vote, right? But youth have a great deal of influence right they they influence parents, they influence their older youth and you know their siblings, et cetera. so you can organize in that sense, organize and volunteer with community based organizations. Um, we absolutely need your help, right, and you know and you can still. Uh, make a visit to an elected official or to a representative, even though you're not a voting age yet, because you will be right. And, and you will be right. So volunteer um, and still do the things to influence voters that need to be done.
1: Getting,
5: yeah, wanting to get involved. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Just being here and showing up tonight and taking in this information, you're going to be able to go out into your communities and your circles and educate people. And you might be telling somebody exactly what they need to know about accessing safe health care if they need it. Thank you for this conversation. Um, Specifically regarding talk about investment and building out our workforce and reimbursement rates. We've heard a lot about the value of doulas and I 100% am behind that. Are there any efforts being made right now that anyone is aware of to expand investment in community midwifery care, similar to what Allegra and Kim are doing? Um, And, specifically, is ACOG doing anything to support that movement? I'm gonna say no, um, but I'm I'm not a part of ACOG, but, you know, it's unfortunate that we, you know, we're supposed to serve the same people, but we do it in, like, completely different ways. Um, And, you know, I've only been a birth worker for 10 years and I have dreams of where we are 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 30 or 40, but for now it feels like the two are kind of not really working together. So I'm going to say, not that I'm aware of, are you aware of anything?
4: Well, I think the the issue is uh, a little bit more complicated in terms of different levels. Maybe something to talk about at the reception. Um, but I think that the challenge is, when we look at the state of California in terms of care, what we really see is a really significant divide with some of the rural and more inland areas in terms of shortage of healthcare professionals. And one of the challenges that we've seen in terms of uh, what we'd say the workforce allocation is people not being willing to go out there and live out there and work out there. The most glaring that I've personally seen is actually in the field of psychiatry, and I worked in the Inland Empire for many years. I had a patient who was acutely suicidal, and there was simply no psychiatrist available to help that patient at that time. So one of the workforce challenges we see is uh, having people relocate to some of those inland areas, not just physicians, but midwives, uh, even doulas trying to get out into those areas. There are a lot of people who are really good in certain specific areas, But there's also a lot of kind of what we call deserts of care
2: as well in
3: those areas. So I'm gonna
2: um, say that there's a person in the audience, she has on a red t shirt that says Respect, Protect Black Women. Uh, She's in the back. And she knows, I'm thinking that she knows about efforts to organize doulas around getting paid and getting paid adequately. Uh, I do believe doulas need a union uh, because. They need to get paid for the work that they do and needs to be respected. There is an absolute hierarchy in the medical world, right? Just in terms of doctors and nurses and midwives are somewhere over here with the nurses and, and doulas and all down that way. And that hierarchy is very real And it needs to be dismantled because I think it just reinforces the racism, elitism and classism in the medical profession. Part of that means, yeah, some folks need to organize unions among doulas. And part of it also means that we need to do some education of ourselves about what midwives do, what doulas do, what nurses do what docs do, et cetera, and really do some shifting around the culture um, of giving birth and of reproductive health services and who can provide them. And one of the things we didn't talk about was self-managed abortion and what that means. But another time.
1: I want to thank everybody for coming. This has been interesting. Um, and I just want to remind you that we do have, uh, in partnership with South Central Intervisions, there is the Afro-Latinx Futurism uh, Arts Festival this weekend on Saturday. And you can uh, get more information at Innervisions.la. But it's free, and it's going to be wonderful. And hope to see you guys here. All righty, thank you. And now we will. Thank you. Let's give the let's give these people uh, another round of applause. Too. Thank you, guys, very much. I learned a lot.